Poetry lovers, this is Danusha Lamaris, and you are listening to KSQD Santa Cruz at 90.7 FM. And I'm here with Dion O'Reilly. Hello, everyone. Hi, Dion. Hi, Danusha. <laughs> and today, we're going to be talking about Santa Cruz poets writing Santa Cruz poems. And there's a lot of them. There's so many of them that we're actually not going to finish talking about them today. So this is Santa Cruz Poetry Part Uno. Yes. We'll have dose at some point. We will have dose at some point because the thing that we found that is so cool, not that we don't know there's a long history of poetry writing and poets uh, living and writing about Santa Cruz, living in and writing about, but just the sheer volume and quality of it is pretty amazing. And big names like Adrian Rich. Adrian Rich mm-hmm. and Joseph Stroud. Alan Bass. Gary Young. Lord Marcus. Stephen Kessler, wow, Montmian, and um, and, and little, us, little old us, and us. Yeah. <laughs> we, we count too, right? <laughs> yeah, we live in Santa Cruz. We live in Santa Cruz, and <laughs> we write poems about it. Mm-hmm. And so we thought we'd start in just reading a couple of short poems to give you some tasters, some appetizers, and we'll go in from there. Dan, do you want to read the first one? Yeah, we're going to read, I'm going to read a Gary Young, a very short Gary Young. Should we say something about Gary Young? Okay, let's, let's say something about Gary Young. Um, a, I really like Gary Young. Nice guy. Funny, too. And he's funny. Mm-hmm. And he's been teaching for a lot of years up at UCSC, teaching creative writing, poetry up there, and also running the Cowell Press, which is a very cool thing that's been there since, I think, almost the beginning of the university. What do they publish? They do like broadsides, printmaking, uh, and some book binding, and you know stuff like that. It's book arts. Mm-hmm. I actually took a class there, not with Gary, but with the guy who used to run it, um, who was also fabulous. Mm, that's so, wonderful to study book art, isn't that cool? Books. And he also teaches at Kirby, and he teaches at Georgiana Bruce Kirby, and he has um, a couple of books out right now. Um, he has a new and selected poems out, as well as a book called That's What I Thought. Mm. That's kind of a fun title. I have Even So. Even So is a fabulous book. book. Yeah, so he's got all these amazing books. If you want to know more, well, we should read one of his poems, but check him out at Bookshop Santa Cruz. I just have a short one here. It's untitled. Two girls were struck by lightning at the harbor mouth. An orange flame lifted them up and laid them down again their thin suits had been melted away it's a miracle they survived it's a miracle they were ever born at all love that poem and listeners to the long time uh poetry show will be familiar with that poem because dennis morton loves to read that one. Oh, it's just it stays magical after all these years 
Shall, shall I read one more short one by him? I'd love that, yeah. Okay. Also untitled. Fog descends over the tidal surge and the shallow lagoons. The marsh grass and the alders at the water's edge fade, then vanish in the mist. The tan oaks and the redwoods are only shadows that waver for a moment, then disappear. The world is beyond us. It is held now in a vaporous light, the smoke from a fire burning somewhere in heaven. Gosh, I love that. Little lyrical moments. Yeah, that's what he does, right? Well, he's very in- influenced by like haiku and... And different um, Asian forms, mm-hmm. I would say. And he just, and all of them are untitled, I believe. And they are prose poems. That's another thing to say about them. So what does that mean? They don't have line breaks. So on the page, when you look at them, they look like a paragraph. Mm -hmm. And they're usually based in nature in some way. I'll I'll read another one. I loved the smoke in the end of that one that you just read. And this is a poem, again, by Gary Young. I took my son into the forest He is a fearless child, but he was frightened by the woods and never left my side. We found chanterelles under the oaks and carried them home for dinner. Even in the kitchen, my son clung to me. We cooked the mushrooms with a handful of garlic in olive oil and butter. I added chicken, seven lemons, seven limes, and a scoop of cinnamon. Why not? Steam from the noodles fogged our windows, so the moon that night was vague, mysterious, but available. Hmm. Little lyric moments. Yeah, and always mushrooms. That's right. That's I mean, that's the thing Gary says about himself in his poems. He's like hunting mushrooms in the woods. He's really once again. He's in. He's super into mushrooms. That sounds like a great recipe. And food. He, I want to write more food poems. Yeah, maybe we should do a show on food, poems, and recipes. Have a cooking show. A cooking kind of, show? Kind of cooking related. for poets. Yeah, cooking for poets. If you want to cook what Gary prepared in that poem, we have a recipe for that. <laughs> First, got to go pick the mushrooms. Yeah, we could do that. That was wonderful. Isn't so, those beautiful? Yeah. Um, you want to read another one? Uh, by um, whomever. Who shall we go to now? Ellen Bass? Sure. Indigo? Oh, yeah. Um, I'll chat about it while you're looking for it. Mm -hmm. Um, um, This is a poem that came out in The New Yorker sometime last year, I think. And just in the name of home pride here, it mentions Westcliff, and it's by local Santa Cruz poet Ellen Bass, who's a member of the Academy of American Poets and has taught writing workshops for, oh, man, probably over 30 years here locally. Oh yeah. And um also wrote one of the put together one of the first anthologies of all women poets. No, no more, more masks. masks. That's right. And also wrote the courage co wrote The Courage to Heal and has several poetry books out. So that's a little bit about Ellen. Do us the honors. And she was both of our teachers. That's right. We both did you start out writing with Ellen? Was that sort of your first um, poetry teacher? Uh, yes, yes, a little bit in college, um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, it was, she, she was, the, she got me going. She got you going, yeah, me too. She, yeah, she 
put me on, took off my training wheels, kind of. Yeah, a lot of us owe our start to Ellen, so. Indigo. Thank you. As I'm walking on West Cliff Drive, a man runs toward me, pushing one of those jogging strollers with shock absorbers so the baby can keep sleeping, which this baby is. I can just get a glimpse of its almost translucent eyelids. The father is young, a jungle of indigo and carnelian tattooed from knuckle to jaw, leafy vines and blossoms, saints and symbols. Thick wooden plugs pierce his lobes, and his sunglasses testify to the radiance haloed around him. I'm so jealous, as I often am. It's a kind of obsession. I want him to have been my child's father. I want to have married a man who wanted to be in a body, who wanted to live in it so much that he marked it up like a book, underlining, highlighting, writing in the margins. I was here. Not like my ex, my dead ex-husband, who was always fighting against the flesh, who sat for hours on his Zafu chanting, Om, and then went out and broke his hand punching the car. I imagine when this galloping man gets home, he's going to want to have sex with his wife, who slept in late, and then he'll eat barbecued ribs and let the baby teeth on a bone while he drinks a cold, dark beer. I can't stop wishing my daughter had had a father like that. I can't stop wishing I'd had that life. Oh, I know it's a miracle to have a life, any life at all. It took eight years for my parents to conceive me. First there was the war, and then just waiting, and my mother's bones so narrow she had to be slit and I airlifted. That anyone is born, each precarious success from sperm and egg to zygote, embryo, infant, is a wonder. And here I am alive, almost 70 years, and nothing has killed me. Not the car I totaled running a stop sign or the spirochete that screwed into my blood. Not the tree that fell in the forest exactly where I was standing, my best friend shoving me backwards so I fell on my ass as it crashed. I'm alive. And I gave birth to a child. So she didn't get a father who'd sling her onto his shoulder. And so much else she didn't get. I've cried most of my life over that. And now there's everything we can't talk about. We love but cannot take too much of each other. Yet she is the one who, when I asked her to kill me if I no longer had my mind, we were on our way into Ross shopping for dresses. That's something she likes, and they all look adorable on her. She's the only one who didn't hesitate or refuse or waver or flinch as we strode across the parking lot. She said, okay, but when's the cutoff? That's what I need to know. Thanks, Dion. And for those of you just tuning in, you are listening to the Hive Poetry Collective here on KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM. And that was Dion O'Reilly reading Ellen Bass's poem, Indigo. Such a great poem and such a mixed ending, isn't it? 
Yeah. Yeah, actually, the ending is a little bit ambiguous, isn't it? It's like, well, I'm lucky I had a daughter, and she'd kill me if she had to. (laughs) It's pretty, it's dark, but it's so layered and And, so interesting. And she doesn't um, italicize or put quotation marks around what is said. So you're not sure who said that's what I need to know. Oh, I always assumed it's the daughter. Oh, yeah, the daughter. Yeah. Okay. But when when's the cutoff? That's Oh, you're right, but it's kind of ambiguous. Yeah. Is it the mother wondering to herself or is it the daughter saying, "Tell me the cutoff?" Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. This is what Ellen calls a long-armed poem. Oh, tell us about that. Well, it's got a backbone of that of logic or theme, but it goes off into all these different places. It starts describing the man. And I love the fact that, well, we know that Ellen is a, a like a baby boomer. And so when she's describing this man with tattoos, you get the feeling you think, well, maybe she's going to go into some kind of dislike of tattoos. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. But instead, she says, I'm so jealous. I wish that he had fathered my child. (laughs) Right. And I think that is delightful. That's a surprise. We were talking earlier how we love surprises. We want to be surprised. We want to be like a kid on Christmas. Yeah, we want good surprises, not bad surprises. (laughs) That's true. That's right. Um, So that's a surprise. And then she says she has an obsession of, 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 of thinking constantly about who could have been a better father for her child? Right. The The landscape of regret is one that so many of us are familiar, familiar with. And I like the relationship of this poem to that landscape. You know, what are the things that we wish we'd done differently and whether or not those things would have made any sense? We all tend to have a list of them, right? And then she takes a turn and talks about how life is a miracle. Any moment. I mean, that's like the Gary Young poem. It was a miracle that those girls were born at all. So that's sort of a poetic right, and um, and she goes into all her diseases and stuff, and um, all her diseases, yeah, all the things that happen to her. (laughs) That's great. Spirochete, all her diseases. (laughs) Well, what's a little Lyme's disease between poets? I'd like to read another poem by Ellen, and um, I just love the way these poems are so located. So located in in lands in um what do you call them landmarks mm-hmm. landmarks that we know so um, I'd like to read walking by Circle Market late at night also by Ellen Bass the city is quiet as though it's cried itself out Circle Market. Its windows busy with stickers for surfboard wax and bands with names like Make a Mistake. It's dark now, too. Last year, the owner was held up, but he handed over the money and wasn't shot. I sealed two twenties and a ten in an envelope and walked to the corner. We went there a lot when the kids were little. Popsicles and nights we ran out of milk. Mr. Song, on his high stool by the cash register, presiding over the aisles, the dusty cans of Campbell's Soup and Hamburger Helper, Huggies and Ajax. 
His body looked sunken now, and his eyes jerked over to the door when he told me the man pointed a gun at his wife. She'd been sitting on a stack of the Sunday Chronicles and warned him not to reach for the phone. After that, he wouldn't let me pay for my pint of haagen and added an ice cream sandwich on top for the child, he said, even though the youngest is grown and gone. When I protested, he slipped in a Snickers bar, and when I insisted, he couldn't keep doing this. He tossed in a handful of chiclets. Last summer, when a friend was visiting, I sent her instead, but he'd seen us walking the dog together and wouldn't let her pay either, sneaking in a pack of American spirit lights and a yellow bick. The Greeks believed every human act is perilous. I can't go in there anymore. So that was Ellen Bass's poem, Walking by Circle Market Late at Night, here on the Hive Poetry Collective. Denisha Lamaris read that so beautifully. Thank you. I am Deanna Riley. This is KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM. I like how Ellen also slips in philosophy here and then. There, right? The Greeks believed every human act is perilous. Well, that's really the term. Isn't it? Yeah, that's where she takes off a layer there. Yeah, she'll just tell a regular story and then swivel it around the Greek philosophers. I mean, that first description, the city is quiet as though it's cried itself out, sets you up right away for pathos in the poem. And that tricky uh, band name, with bands with names like Make a Mistake. That's wonderful. Right, that's talk about regrets again and... I love that yeah. his name is Mr. Song. That's good, too. We don't know if that's the owner's real name, but it's great in this poem. But this is just also a really interesting combination of emotions, of doing someone a good deed mm-hmm. and them never letting you forget it. <laughs> right, even in a grateful way, how that can be a, its own kind of burden. Yeah. That's an odd idea. Yeah, it's almost an embarrassment. Almost embarrassment. Like, don't make too much of the thing I did. Mm-hmm. Or I almost regret doing it. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to read the next one, Lost Dog? And we're having a little Ellen Bass series here. Mm-hmm. Lost Dog. It's just getting dark, fog drifting in, damp grasses fragrant with anise and mint. And though I call his name until my voice cracks, there's no faint tinkling of tag against color, no sleek black silhouette with tall ears rushing toward me through the wild radish. As it turns out, he's trotted home, tracing the route of his trusty urine. Now he sprawls on his deep red rug, not dead, not stolen by a car on Westcliff Drive. Every time I look at him, the wide head resting on Elstrich paws. Joy does another lap around the racetrack of my heart. Even in sleep, when I turn over to ease my bad hip, I'm suffused with contentment. If I could lose him like this every day, I'd be the happiest woman alive. 
<laughs> I love that ending. She kills with those endings, doesn't she? Yes. She really if, uh, I think of that ending a lot, actually. I think about other things that, you know, when things almost go terribly wrong and yeah. don't, and you're yeah. so relieved. Yeah. And I think of this poem. I think, God, if only this almost terrible thing could happen all the time, I'd be aware of how well things are going. That's just an example how a poem can kind of change the way you think about the world. Yeah. Yeah, and it's fun, again, that these poems are located, uh, they're really all around the Circle neighborhood, right? They're all along West Cliff or the, that same little area. I get the feeling that she was running with the dog at Lighthouse Field. And he didn't come back. And he didn't come back. He or he took himself down to Lighthouse Field, maybe, right? Yeah. Um, he slipped out the fence or something. It's And that's a really good imagery, Um sensory imagery of hearing there's no faint tinkling of tag against collar yeah I mean, that's what i listen for when i call my dog you're listening for that little sound of course we know this dog this is a poem about zeke who was a very handsome dog he was dark silky black and he had very big ears that stuck straight up because he was part german shepherd and part lab i believe and those ears when he was a puppy were as big as his whole head it was magical. Uh, and and he's no longer with us. So it's also nice to remember Zeke when as many Santa Cruz poets will remember Zeke. Yeah, we all know Zeke. All of Ellen's uh, students, certainly. He loved poetry. Zeke loved poetry. He'd sit in the as... and just listen to it. Yeah. Well, not... Why don't we read one of your poems, Tanisha? Oh. Okay. Do you want to read one of yours? I'll read one of mine. I'll read Omens, a shorter poem of mine. And. To intro this, what can I say? I live in a barn. And... That's, that's an intro to every poem. <laughs> I should just say that before I read any of my poems. Yeah. By yeah. the way, I, I live in a barn. I, I was almost raised in a barn. I wasn't raised in one, but I live in one now by choice. Yeah. Um, I, I told someone I live in a barn the other day, and they said, "Oh, I'm." They almost said, "Oh, I'm sorry." Like, <laughs> I think they felt bad for me. Um, like I was living in a hovel. So mm. I want to make clear that it's a finished interior. It's a nice barn. Yeah. Small yeah. and nice. Converted. It's, it's converted. It's a con- let's a con- face it. it. Let's converted. face it. Yeah. yeah. But animals did used to live in it. Okay. So I live in a barn out um, off Branson 40 Road off and by that creek. Omens. Out here, we read everything as a sign The coyote in its scruffed coat, bending to eat a broken persimmon on the ground. The mess of crows that fills the apple tree, makes a racket, lifts off. In between, quiet. The winter fog is a blank. I wish I could make sense of the child's empty bed. The bullet hole through my brother's heart. The mailman drops a package on the front stoop, and the neighbor's dog won't stop barking. I tread down the stairs lightly, because we can't know what comes next, we say. The plum tree is blooming early. There are buck antlers lying in the grass. A mountain lion left its footprints by the bridge. That was Omens, read by Danusha Lamaris. 
You're here at the Hive Poetry Collective. I'm Deanna O'Reilly. And we are reading Santa Cruz poems by Santa Cruz poets, which I guess we both are Santa Cruz poets, so we're going to read a couple of our own. Do you want to read one of yours, Dan? Um, why don't we just tell uh, the listening audience that they can find us on Facebook. Oh, my goodness, they can. It's the Hive Poetry Collective at okay. KSQD. Yes, so you can friend us or follow us or whatever you do. And um, you can leave a comment and you can message us if you have an idea for a show, um, a a book that you think it would be great for us to review or a poet to interview. Good point. And we have a a website. It's hivepoetry.org. And you can listen to the show after the fact and share it from either of those places because it is also a podcast once it is complete. We podcast it. So if you want to re-listen to it or share it with a friend or with students, that's another thing you can do. We're on iTunes and Spotify and on all of them. You know, this this poem, Omens, though, it's a little, like, mind-altering or something. It's almost like a little window into another world. Hmm. Um, I guess the way you set the scene, the winter is a blank and then going from the winter fog being a blank into I wish I could make sense of a child's empty bed the natural images at the beginning just create a question of like what is reality how do we make sense of it and I guess you know traditionally right people trying to read omens that's what they were doing is in some way trying to make sense of the world Mm-hmm. that we can't really make sense of. The poem is make, trying to make sense of the world. And failing. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's, well, it's, it's describing we the mystery. It's pointing towards that, I guess. It's pointing toward the mystery. Yeah, I'm noticing, you know, having read the, the poems that we've already read, looking at Gary's and Ellen's, I'm looking at the, how the fog keeps showing up, and oh, that right. seems so regional to me now that I'm looking at all these poems about Santa Cruz, the way the fog is lingering over them and is thank interesting. God for the fog. Yeah, you I know. know. We it's, miss it's it. It's our no. air conditioner. Right. Love the fog. Love having that fog and the dog barking. Mm-hmm. We've got the dogs showing up everywhere. I, I need to clearly work some mushrooms mm-hmm. in there somewhere. The next yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> the next poem. Yeah, I really love this poem. Well, thank you. Would you like to read one of yours? Uh, Let's see. Okay. Shall I read Yellow or Pilgrim? You like Yellow. I like them both. You're a big fan of Yellow. I am a fan. I'm a Deanna Riley fan. So you could do, you could start singing. You could read (laughs) another poem. (laughs) See? I'm going to love it. I don't know where Pilgrim went. I have it right here. Okay. Yeah, I'm very resourceful that way. All right. Is that what this poem's yeah, about? Kind of. Oh, wait. This might be the end of your poem that I have here, is it? No, that's the end of yellow. That's yellow. Okay. okay. Go for it. Pilgrim. They don't look where they're going as they drive their mud cake trucks and Subarus along the crumbled cliffs at Pleasure Point. The surfers, twisting their spines for a glimpse of Sewer Peak or gazing at an angle toward the hook seeking the swells that curl around the reefs, the high wedges that crunch the shore. They can't stop traveling west, an endless summer 
of shore breaks and peak breaks to a sun that never sets. I knew a man who wanted me like that. He followed me like a pilgrim in pursuit of a saint. His truck, an immaculate chapel, offerings stowed in the glove box or swinging from the rear view. When we met, he laid his gifts before me on his palm, tithes of rhinestones, strands of faux sapphires, dolls with waxy faces, sunglasses of green celluloid. So I let him have me. And after, his face scoured clean, radiant like a child's, he confessed his sins. The daughters he'd abandoned, his angry wives, said he knew I could save him. But soon he tired of me, no longer cruising by my driveway as I left in the morning, no cards lush with Rossetti paintings in my mailbox, no deep blue feathers torn from a dead jay's wing tucked in an envelope. He died years ago, but I still think of him when I see those smooth barefoot bodies with nothing but towels knotted at their waists as they pull neoprene skins up their legs and cold nippled torsos, then run away toward the pumpkin waves. I can't help hoping I'll see him, still searching for me in his Studebaker pickup and ruined straw hat. Thank you, Dion. That was Dion O'Reilly, my co-host here, reading her poem, Pilgrim. And I love how it ends on that hat. I also had the thought while you're reading it, it's kind of like the inverse poem to Ellen's Indigo. It's a poem of coastal lust. Only in this poem, the narrator goes for the guy and it doesn't work out as opposed to her poem where she didn't go for that guy and regrets it. <laughs> this, this writer regrets it. <laughs> Maybe that's the, the difference way. between East Side and West Side, because mine's on <laughs> Pleasure Point and hers is at the Lighthouse. We East Side girls. <laughs> Do it differently. <laughs> Do it differently. Oh, let's just say it's KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM. Ooh, let us say that. And let us take a little minor break after which we will come back and do a couple of announcements about upcoming events and we'll read you some more poems by Santa Cruz poets. I do need a break after that scorching hot poem. KSQD presents a five-part series on the growing threat of wildfires. California Burning takes a critical look at how the state's fire-prone forests have been managed and examines how we can all be better stewards of the land and avoid catastrophic wildfires in the future. Produced by North State Public Radio, California Burning airs Monday evening at 6 p.m. right after Talk of the Bay here on KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM and KSQD.org.
So we are back. This is Danusha Lamaris, the current Santa Cruz Poet Laureate, and I am here with poet and friend and co-host Dion O'Reilly. And you're listening to KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM. Did I say this was the Hive Poetry Collective? I don't know. I don't know either, but it definitely is. And we are reading Santa Cruz poems by Santa Cruz poets, including a couple of our own poems. And maybe we'll come back to those, but I'm feeling like reading a Joe Stroud. Mm. Because who doesn't want to read a Joe Stroud? And actually, I'll make a announcement as I'm doing that, which is that Joseph Stroud, who is a very fine Santa Cruz poet, do you want to say a bit about him and his background? Uh, well, I don't know that much about him, except for I adore his books. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like, it's never a mistake to pick up a Joseph Stroud book. Right. He's a Copper Canyon poet that's a fine press and he has a book uh just out called everything that rises which you can find at bookshop santa cruz i just got my copy they got a lot of copies which is good oh they do mm-hmm. okay good so everything that rises and we'll be reading a few of his very fine poems he's an award-winning poet who lives between santa cruz and the sierra mountains and sometimes a place down in mexico and um shall i read the walnut tree poem oh okay okay and then we can just Mm -hmm. pop around homage to the black walnut in downtown santa cruz late afternoon trudging from the bank to the bookstore i stop and look up at the black walnut on cedar street into its green canopy of leaves and immense curving limbs a tree is a place not an object. It's an island in the air where our sight may live a while, unburdened and free from this heavy earthen body. So that was homage to Black Walnut in downtown Santa Cruz um, by Joseph Stroud that Danusha just read. And that is an example of these sextet six-line lyric poems that he writes. Mm. And um, they're all very lyric in that time kind of stops in them. And there seems to often be a turn at the end. The The end is where you really feel it. Mm-hmm. I love that idea also of a tree being an island in the air. Oh. I think that's just so delicious as an image. And that will stay with me. Um, as a lover of trees and tree houses. That's a gorgeous tree, too, that he's talking about. It's right across the street from what used to be uh, Cafe Benny, and now it's Alley Cat. Alley Cat Cafe. Alley Cat Cafe. By the new building they're constructing? It's right right there. Yes. Okay, I know that tree. And although the tree is huge, um, you would never know it, but some years ago, I guess... Just we locals know this. Some years ago, it was much, much bigger, and they cut it way, way back. And everyone was afraid it was going to die. Oh, wow. And it came, it came, clearly came back pretty fully. Yeah. We get really emotionally invested in trees. I mean, and I think as we should be. But it's it's interesting how when a tree is in peril, it's a community event, isn't it? Yeah, it's to worry more, over a tree. Yeah, it's it's more than an object. It's so he says an island in the air. Yeah, it's yeah. a whole like ecosystem. It's a place. It's a place. Yeah, yeah, I think that a lot. And I was thinking as you were talking and saying we locals know, 
um, it bears mentioning that you are a lifelong local. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Uh, well, yeah. I was born here in the 50s in the old Dominican hospital. It's now like Ristorante Italiano. You know oh, that that's right. I'd heard that was a hospital. Right. Right on Soquel, kind of near Ocean Street. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to be a lot prettier. They, they put this weird facade on it, but it's really a beautiful building. Mm-hmm. They have all the names of people that were born there. Mine is missing. It is? <laughs> I think so. Oh, my, my gosh. My sister's there. And I'm Let's not. just say that should be corrected. And yeah. you sh- your name should be inscribed or put on a plaque right. at the old Dominican hospital. Deanna O'Reilly was born here. Yeah, so my grandparents had a nursery on Portola and 41st. Wow. And it was so quiet there that you could see quail running across the road. And I used to keep my horse kind of near where orchards used to be over there at Kings Plaza. And you could just ride your horse right down to the beach and fields. Oh, man. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it was amazing growing up here. When you'd go by Pleasure Point, if you'd see one surfer out there, you'd go, look, there's a surfer. Like, it was a big deal. Like, wow. Like, they were a rare sighting. Yeah. It's crazy how much change happens in a short period, right? Yeah. And how the old Santa Cruz lives in your mind next to the the Santa Cruz of today. It's not like the old Santa Cruz goes away when you're driving around. You still feel like you're... You pass the ghost of it in some way. Yeah, well, every time I walk over to Abbott Square, I I feel like the Cooper House is still right there. I do, too. I even sometimes in my mind go in the Cooper House, yeah, into the downstairs, in my mind. And I know that's not there anymore, but the mind keeps going there. Isn't that and, interesting? And I went downstairs there when it was the county building. Oh, wow. Yeah. I can remember go down there with my mother to... Uh, file papers and stuff. So, enough about me. Enough about you. Why don't you read us another poem of yours? Okay, I'll read Yellow here. I know you really like Yellow. And Vinti likes Yellow. Our friend Vinti really likes Yellow. Shout out to Vinti. So, Vinti, this is for you. (laughs) Yellow. It's February and the acacia is blooming. Not wet, though winter's well along. And the flowers by now should be cold and sodden. No matter. The air is helpless, punch drunk with pollen. I know what's next. Rooty mustard. Fields of it. Mixed with the weightless mouths of sourgrass showing their throats as they shift on listless stems. Yellow's the first color of spring. Hope yellow. Sick yellow. Kitchen yellow. Pollen petaled heart of the columbine yellow. She lost her mind and ran away with the pearl-handled kitchen knives yellow. Head home to California on the gray rabbit bus line from Seattle to San Francisco. Seats stripped out, hippies on dirty mattresses spooning and massaging above the hum of the drivetrain. Stop at Crescent City, stand on a ridge above a full-bloom meadow. All that yellow feeding my brain after nothing but pine and pewter gray. I'm home. Thirty years now. The rain behind me. But I'm calling for it down from the north to scrub the thick air, dampen the dried loam. I'm too old to climb the silver-skinned acacias, boxed with notches of crumbly black, to sit thirty feet up and scratch the bark's thin skin, smell the whiskey wood stink, See the hard green beneath, smooth as muscle on an athlete's arms. 
to bower myself safe between limb and trunk, like I did when I was six, thinking nothing could touch me, not strange weather, not whatever way the world ends. It's oh, a beautiful poem, Dion. In that acacia tree, and I just see the child up in that tree. There were many acacia trees on the ranch where I grew up. Hmm. And it's funny because I haven't climbed an acacia tree in a long time. Um, but when I wrote this, I remembered that you could scratch the bark skin and see the green underneath and that it smelled, even though I hadn't done it in so many years, like 55 years or something, you know. <laughs> in a little and while. And so I went out and I found an acacia tree and I scratched and I'm like, ah. There it is. Oh, I thought you were going to say you're terribly disappointed because it didn't happen. No, no. No, they didn't evolve that quickly. <laughs> I, I kind of went crazy in the middle of this poem. Hope yellow, sick yellow, kitchen yellow, pollen, petaled, heart of the columbine yellow. Well, that should happen in the middle of a poem. We should a, go a little bit crazy. It's a Dionysian moment. Oh, yeah. That, that's our fancy term for when we go a little nuts. We don't like to say we went nuts. We like to say it was Dionysian mm-hmm. or Dionysian. But whatever it is. Yeah, we like to say that. You pass me those little pile, that little pile over there. I'm getting back my poem pile that Deanne has absconded with. She didn't abscond very far. (laughs) Thank you for reading that. And that was, again, Deanne O'Reilly reading her beautiful poem, Yellow, and talking a bit about being a true dyed-in-the-wool Santa Cruz. Although I did live in Seattle for about nearly a decade. You're allowed to leave and come back. You're allowed to come back. But the first... it's in January or February that the acacia starts to bloom, mm-hmm. and you kind of go. You start sneezing, yeah. and you, you know, you're transitioning into allergy time and beauty yeah. all at once. Mm-hmm. So everything's a mixed bag. Yeah. Um, I was remembering that I wanted to share because we we're talking about Joe Stroud as well. Just before that, that he is having a book release happening. This is a busy town, right? A lot of things happen that are amazing. And he's having a book signing and reading on Sunday, December 8th at 3. Oh, it's at 3 p.m. Look at that. That's good. That's great because we have an event later that same day, but this is early in the day. So Sunday, December 8th at 3 p.m., Joseph Stroud will be doing a book signing and reading at Cabrillo College at the Horticultural Center there. And so that's when you drive up, up, up to the Cabrillo parking lot, but then you just keep going (laughs) to the very top of the hill. And it's a beautiful space with a view of the ocean or the bay. And um, Joseph Stroud will be reading from his book, Everything That Rises. And if you can be there, do it. His poems are just breathtaking. And I'm really excited about this new book. And... And yeah. he doesn't read that often. I have never seen him read. Right. And he and he does not give that many public readings. So if you can if you have a chance to be there, please go and do the do, do yourself the service. And later that day, because this is how we roll in Santa Cruz, the Hive is hosting another event. And that is the poet Patricia Smith, who's a multiple award winning poet a many-time national poetry slam champion. So she's a strong poet on the page, as well as being a really dynamic performer of her poem, which not everyone is. So that's a really rare and amazing combination. And she's going to be reading at uh, 7 o'clock that night, Sunday, December 8th, at the Moth downtown at the museum. And we'll be announcing that again as it gets closer. And that's a free event, but we have an RSVP for it that we will share for you as well on Eventbrite. 
and oh, we'll post the link for that rather on our um, pages, Facebook page and our blog, hivepoetry.org, so that you can just RSVP and let us know that you're planning to be there because there's limited seating. I'd like to um, read another Stroud poem since we're talking Stroud a little bit here. And I like that this poem also has mushrooms in it because that seems like an important uh, uniting thread. And this one is Hunting Chanterelles, Majors Creek, Santa Cruz Mountains. And again, this is Danusha Lamaris, and you're listening to the Hive Poetry Collective on KSQD Santa Cruz at 90.7 FM. Poem by Joseph Stroud. Hunting Chanterelles, Majors Creek, Santa Cruz Mountains. Crawled over leaf fall and duff, through ferns and nightshade, a week after the first rains, on all fours, crawled like an animal down in the undergrowth among sedge and adder's tongue, down there in the other world. No yesterday, no tomorrow, no Buddha, no sorrow. Yeah, he really has a way of evoking another world. It's like a shaman. He does. There are those poets that you feel live a little outside of time. Mm-hmm. I feel that way about Lucille Clifton's poems. She taught at UCSC, so she's was for a little while a Santa Cruz poet. Oh. Um, yeah, he does do that stepping out of time. Would you like to read another Stroud? Kind of looking at this one, he, he really has great repetition on this. The way he's crawled, and then he says crawled again. And I love that word. That word. Duff. That leaf, is a good word. And it's leaf, fall, and duff. You know, leaf, fall, and duff. Those are great sounds. It's funny. I always hear the word duff a funny way because my niece and nephew, unbeknownst to me, thought that's what you called a male deer when they were little. They'd say, look at the duff. <laughs> Don't know why. That, I guess that doe and duff go to be- together better ah. than doe and buck, right? So Again, funny. it was they were going for the alliteration. Well, I, I thought antelope or envelope. You did? Yeah. And you thought antelopes were envelopes? And here I'm saying it over the air, so now everyone knows that. it's. Well, I thought elephants were heffalumps, <laughs> if that makes you feel any better. I'm trying to get serious about this poem. Okay, here. sorry. I love the leaf falling duff. And off, you and I have said often that if you just want a great poem, make sure you name plenty of plants in it. And he does It's that. almost like cheating, because plant names are so great. Ferns, nightshade. Sedge, adder's tongue. Mm-hmm. That really good. Yeah. Down there in the other world. That's just that's, that's and then his rhyme. He ends up with a couplet on the end with a rhyme. No yesterday, no sorrow. No, no, no yesterday, no tomorrow, no Buddha, no sorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great sounds. Great sounds in that. Mm-hmm. Will you read us another Joe Stroud? Sure, let's see. Um, He has a long poem with lots of sections called Convergence. And the first first one is uh, just incredible. But it doesn't actually specifically mention Santa Cruz, although it does mention California. 
can't read can't read that one, but I can read number three because it is full of Santa Cruz landmarks. Go for it. So this is the third poem of the long poem. Well, actually, it's the long poem against surrealism. Number three. Pacific Avenue, Del Mar Theater, Palace Art, Bookshop Santa Cruz, Strolling on a Saturday afternoon in spring, the first bright day after weeks of rain and fog, you pass a booth selling coffee and chai, a whiff of ganja in the air, and stop before a long window with its beach scene, mannequins, torsos, and swimsuits, an assemblage of sandals, the window shimmering in light, the way memory shimmers, shimmering into a temple in Varanasi, the sandals piled outside, the ganges flowing past, a corpse struggling in the current, on the bank a buzzard clacking its tongue. There's a wide marble palace, burning gats, spirits unfleshed, and now voices singing down Pacific Avenue, down this long shimmering pane of glass, wavering your reflection and the image of a woman behind you, a street performer, juggling the heads of dolls at her hat, at her feet, a hat filling with coins. Oh, Dan, thank you for reading that. That was Dan reading a section of a poem by Joseph Stroud. And once again, the sounds here are kind of magical. That on the banks of buzzard clacking its tongue. Oh, yeah, clacking its tongue. It's such a great sound, and the hard sounds of the cuh, cuh that run through this current bank, clacking. It uh, that Clacking, it's the first word of that line, and then the next line, the first word is gats, which are steps, right? Gats are steps, in, in uh, often in India, going down to the river. I thought, well, the burning gats, I think that those are when you put a body on a floating Sort of like a boat, and it's like a pyre. You you burn the body as it's floating, and I think that's what this refers to from what comes after, spirits unfleshed, um, burning God. So I think that's the reference, but I love how there's that conflation, right, of the Ganges and the kind of beautiful chaos of that kind of scene and combining that with Pacific Avenue. It's really changing locations and going back and forth. It's just yeah. it's really disorienting in a great way. It is. But he sets you up for it because right away he says that they're selling chai and there's a whiff of ganja in the air. Isn't that fun? Because so, that could it, be at either place, right? And he's sort of leading you. And then we have the ganges later on. <laughs> oh, it didn't occur to me that ganja could come from Ganges. But or maybe those are related. And then he sees word-wise. in the window mannequins and torsos and sandals. Oh. And then later on, you have the sandals um, by the Ganges, and you have all these bodies floating down the river. And and that goes with those sort of parts that we have of the mannequins. That's such a, a cool device to use as a writer, and it may have happened accidentally that that's just how it happened, or it may have happened very intentionally but I call it breadcrumbing when you kind of drop little hints of what's to come. Um, I don't know why I call it that, but they're sort of like little traces that you're mm-hmm. leaving as you make your way through the forest of the poem. 
And he's definitely doing that. And it, it also doesn't make you think that if you were to just sit on Pacific Avenue and write what you saw, just what was going on. That would be enough. It's like That's writing enough. the names of flowers. Right. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever done that. Have you yeah. ever done that? No, but... Maybe that's a good challenge to our Hive listeners is to try and write a Pacific Avenue poem, mm. the ever-changing, you know, av- landscape of Pacific Avenue. But it's always interesting. I love the way he says shimmering in this poem. One, two, three, four times at least. He does. Isn't that wild? Who knew you can get away with that? It just makes the poem scintillating. It does. It's mm-hmm. shimmering away. And it does take us, I think you said from an earlier poem we read of his, that he takes you to another world. And I definitely felt that here. And the juggling the heads of dolls, too. The heads of dolls kind of reflects the corpse in the water. This is a masterful poem. Yeah. As his poems are, you know, they really are. So that was Joseph Stroud's poem, uh, number three section of Against Surrealism from Everything That Rises. I'm Deanna Riley. This is the Hive Poetry Collective, and Denisha Lamaris is here, too. And we are reading poets that have written about Santa Cruz and that mention Santa Cruz in their poems. That's right. We're getting some local landscape in here. And there's so many more poets I want to talk about. And I have a couple poems here by Stephen Kessler, but those are going to wait. Those are going to wait for part duh that we alluded to at the top of the hour. Um And let's see, maybe I'll read one more of mine because I haven't done that yet, but I feel like after Stroud, do I want to do that? (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to do that to myself, but I think I will Um, because why not? And then we'll try and wrap up this hour. I'm just so excited to share more of these at some point with you, Dion. We should definitely do this again. Yeah, it's fun. Mm -hmm. So this is my poem, Stone. And what am I doing here on the side of a hill at the ragged edge of the tree line, sheltered by conifer and bay, watching the wind lift softly the dry leaves of bamboo? I lie on the floor and let the sun fall across my back as I've been doing for the past hour, listening to the distant traffic to the calls of birds I cannot name. Once there was so much I thought I needed. Now all I know is that I want to get closer to it, the rocky slope, the orange petals of the nasturtium adorning the fence, the wind's sudden breath, close enough that I can almost feel at night the slight pressure of the stars against my skin. Isn't this what the mystics meant when they spoke of forsaking the world? Not to turn our backs to it, only to its elaborate plots, its complicated pleasures in favor of the pine's long shadow, the slow song of the grass, I'm always forgetting and remembering and forgetting. I want to leave something here in the rough dirt, a twig, a small stone, perhaps this poem, a reminder to begin again by listening carefully with the body's rapt attention. Remember? Remember? 
to this, to this. That was Stone, and that was Denusha Lamaris reading at her very own poem. I think I've heard this before. Is this in Bonfire Opera, your book that's coming out this spring? Or is this in the one? This is from Bonfire Opera. Yeah, in fact, I think it's the last poem in Bonfire Opera. Oh, it's good for a last poem. Yeah, it's kind of like now things have changed. That's what you want in the last poem sometimes. And you have a book. We have twin books coming out, and Deanna and I will be talking about that as they get closer. But that's just a fun thing. Deanna had actual human twins. That's true. She did. That's and I thing. still have them. Um, oh, yeah. And you still... They're still alive. <laughs> it's like... And she raised them to adulthood. Yeah. They even, survived. Even better. Yeah. And tell, uh, tell us the name of your upcoming book and when uh, it's Ghost coming Dogs. Out. Ghost Dogs. And your book is Bonfire Opera. Yeah. And what month does, yours, does Ghost Dogs come um, out? She was saying February. I'll probably have a release party in late March. Mm-hmm. So um, by March, by yeah. March 1st, it should be in your hands, your yeah. hot little hands. Right. I'll probably be having a few readings around town. And some champagne. And, I always yeah. tell people, have some champagne and we'll enjoy party. it. We'll party. We're going to party. We're going to yeah. party hardy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you'll be hearing from us again with some more Santa Cruz poems by Santa Cruz Poets. Uh, if you have a poem that mentions Santa Cruz landmarks or landscape, go ahead and you know, maybe post it for us on the Hive uh, Facebook page. That would be really cool because we'd love to know more of these poems and what people are writing about our area. Next time we'll talk about Morton Marcus. I guess we don't really have time to talk about this poem, Stone. Oh, no, we not don't. so much. That Gosh. was just sort of a piece out. Yeah, well, sorry. Love, yeah, well, I love that line, <laughs> once there was so much I thought I needed. I was so... I, I, Next time we'll have to talk. We'll start off with it. Next time maybe we'll talk about Stone. I'm glad you liked it. And next time we'll talk about Patrice Vecchioni, Robert Sward, Charles Atkinson. Or maybe I'm being overly ambitious. Maybe we'll only get through a couple more of those poets the next time. And Lynn Anderson. And Lynn Anderson and Jury Post. We just have so many other Santa Cruz poets we'd love to share for you. Share with you. David Sullivan. David Sullivan. Thank you. Um, But thank you for listening. And this was the Hive Poetry Collective on KSQD Santa Cruz, 90.7 FM.